Uh, so good morning again. I want to give a special uh, free church welcome to those of you who normally worship at 9, who have slept in today to join us at 1045. Not a bad crew. We, we accept all kinds here. Um, we're ta- this, this morning we're talking about contentment. And uh, there's those weeks when I'm grasping, you know, what possible illustrations could we have to think about contentment in our lives Uh, And then we get this wonderful storm, and our town gets torn up completely, and just people without basic things, and thinking about, hmm, what do we need to be content? You might just say, I could just use maybe heat, or maybe just electricity. Anybody still without power, haven't been restored yet, or just on generator or something? Nobody? At the nine, there was definitely people at nine who who were still without at this point, and it was it neat to see families trying to figure that out together. Hey, what do we need to be happy? You know, your, your devices don't work. And how do we as a family have fun and pass time? And how do we learn things like, you know, when there's no electricity, the water flows, but it doesn't flow hot because the, you know, mom, why is there no hot water? Well, the electricity tells the heater to fire and heat the water, and we don't have electricity, so you don't have hot water and uh, have fun, a uh, cold shower. But, we're, you know, learning lessons and... Uh, just considering as a people, what do we really need to be content? And here in this section of the letter, there is a secret power of contentment that the Apostle Paul shares with the church in Philippi. And we're getting to the end of this letter. We're going to finish it next week. But he says this, Philippians 4.10, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. You know, here we have this man, Paul, and he had planted this church in Philippi, and he's now writing to encourage them. And he's saying, I rejoice greatly, again, this theme of joy. And he's rejoicing, you've got to remember, that he is just in terrible, terrible circumstances. He is in prison, and he is potentially facing even death. He, not only is he in prison, but there are other Christian believers who uh, were speaking ill of him. So people who were supposed to be of the faith, who were now using this as an opportunity to put Paul down. And we learn in the book of Acts, chapter 28, when Paul was imprisoned in Rome, he had to rent, he was sort of under house arrest. So he had an apartment that he had to rent with his own money, and he had a guard with him full time that he's... Now it's a financial situation, and yet, he says, I rejoice greatly. The reason for his joy is because this Philippian church has now renewed their concern for him. He's talking about money. They gave him a financial gift. They sent a man, Epaphroditus, to bring money to Paul so that his financial needs could be met, and he was there also to minister to Paul and to encourage him. And this is bringing Joy to Paul. This is a, the Philippian church is a poor church. We learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that uh, they, well, let me read it to you. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 says, I want you to know about the grace that God has given these Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into generosity. And I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability that this poor little church gave up to their means and beyond their means 
just to be generous. They had trials, they had poverty, but they had joy, and it overflowed into generosity. And this is bringing Paul joy. It's not bringing him joy because he had a financial need. And he says, um, I, I'm not saying this because I have a need. I, he, his joy really was tied to the fact that this showed their growth, their spiritual growth, and, and how God was shaping them and forming them. And we're going to explore that idea next week. But Paul's joy isn't tied to the money because he learned this secret power of being content in, any, in every situation. Whether he has money or he doesn't have money, he can be content. And he explains to them this secret power that brings about the contentment. And this is a secret power that you and I can learn. And that's a good thing. Because we need contentment. And we want contentment. And even as believers in Jesus Christ, we are people who are prone to seek contentment in places that we can never find it. And we live in a world that tells you you can find contentment in places where contentment truly can never be found. And if we can live lives of contentment, that is to God's glory. It's for our good. And it's a powerful testimony to a world who also wants the same contentment. So today we want to explore uh, what is this secret power of contentment? Let's pray and we'll find out as we go here. Father, you're good and you've brought us here and you are at work. And you made today and we are alive. And that combination is a good thing because you are doing good things in and through us. And that you have called us to be part of your family and your kingdom. To see and experience your salvation and to extend your grace through us to the world around us, Lord. So we just pray in this time that you would teach us what it means to have contentment. Reveal whatever you want to reveal in our hearts, Lord, and do your good work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the secret power of contentment. Look at verse 11. He says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He knows the secret power of being content. And, and, and again, this is a secret power that if the world could understand it, they would take it because uh, we are a people, as the human condition wants to be content. But the world doesn't know the secret power. And... And when I say the world, I mean the non-believing world, the world that does not put faith in Jesus Christ, that does not honor the God who created all things. And there's two main places where the world says that you can find contentment. The first is one that no one will really ever look you in the face and say it, but we could be prone to live it, is that we can find contentment in material things. That your life in my life, my day-to-day -day life will be better uh, if I have the right stuff. I could, I could live a life that is better and safer, and there are things out there that can make my life better or more convenient, uh, things that are reliable, and I, if I get those things, I'll experience some of that and it will bring me contentment. If I just had, you know, if I had the right device, if I had a phone that could you know, update itself for daylight savings and could tell me how to get places. And, and mine is a little, you know, does that, but 
the new ones do it better. And if I had the better one, it could help prompt me when I need prompting, and it could remind me and do the things that I want it to do, to then I could be content. And if I just had it, you know, and maybe my house too, in your house, because your house is small, and it's too small. I mean, imagine how happier you would be if you didn't have to share a bathroom with anybody. You know, not, never mind your kids or your spouse or anybody. You know, your own safe space there. Um, in your kitchen, your poor kitchen, I mean, how much time do you waste looking for the lids to the Tupperware? And you got the bottom and the lid, and they don't fit, and you try another lid, and then you try another, and they just, you can never make them fit. But if you had the right organization, your cabinets aren't even in the right place. And you need somebody to come in and get all the right storage and get them all in the right places, and you wouldn't just have to toil over and over every day, because you got to eat. You can't starve. You gotta eat, so you want your kitchen laid out in a way that's just gonna be really efficient and state of the art. This is unnecessary strife that you are living for. And your car. Hey, remember when you used to like your car? You know why you liked it? Because everything worked. Not everything works in your car anymore. It did, and it was fine, and the way it worked, actually the cars now, that stuff works better. That stuff is better, and it works better, and it works. So the little things that are starting to go, you know, if you had that, then your lousy commute to work would be a little bit more tolerable. You would be content. And so if you, you know, you could, you could get that in this car. They don't even, doesn't even have to run on gasoline. You could just plug it in and drive it, and you don't have to worry about uh, the environment or anything. It just, it would be great. So maybe just get that. Now again, most people are not going to look you in the eye and say, you know what, you need more stuff, and you need better stuff. And if you had more and better stuff, you'd be more content. People don't say that out loud because they know how stupid it sounds. And they know that it's a lie. Yet, we may not say it out loud, but people actually, and we, even as believers, might be prone to pursue those things. That next thing, the next product, the next home, the next drug, whatever the next thing is. So that's kind of the first way, material thing. The second, and more common, and this actually people will say to your face, if you're discontent, you just need to change your circumstances. It's that simple. If you're discontent, something has to change. If you've got a bad job, get out. Get a new job. They don't value you where you work. Well, go someplace where they're going to really value you and pay you what you deserve. Just If your boss is all over you, get a new environment, a healthy work environment, and you will be content. No one respects you, get ahead. Get another degree. Advance yourself and you will be content. You've got a bad marriage, get out of that thing. You know, your spouse is it's conflict and nagging and just get away from that. Get a new spouse. And all that conflict will go away and you will be truly content. If you're unhappy with your commute to work, move. You don't like shoveling snow? Move someplace warmer, trouble. Move to California. I'm sure you can't shovel wildfire, but you know you don't have to shovel snow or go. You know, okay, a hurricane wipes out, but you know at least it's warm. Just if you are stuck in life, just try something new. Change your circumstances. Take up a hobby, a new activity, uh, volunteering. Change your circumstances. Hey, look, you don't like the way you look. Change that get some work done. 
uh, you're not happy with your weight, we can get you on a new program. Uh, you, can, you can look just the way you want. Everything can change. Just if you're not happy, you're not content, just change your circumstances. So in summary, it's a material thing. I won't tell you that, but you could try it. Or I will tell you, change your circumstances. Something's got to give. Get the raise, get the boss, the bigger house, the better car, get healthier, get more respect. Surround yourself with more people who will love and respect you. That's all you gotta do. Just change something. Now, advertisers, they know that that's the things the world grasps for to be content, and they love it. And they will pull every little string that we leave out there that thinks that we can become content by changing our circumstances or by getting new things. And it's, uh, and they love it. You just change your circumstances. And here, the Apostle Paul says, the Bible says, contentment has nothing to do with your circumstances. You can change your circumstances all you want. That's not where contentment is found. And it won't ever bring you true contentment. And he says, I can face every circumstance with contentment. He, material things. He says, if I'm well fed, I can be content. And if I'm hungry, I can be content. Circumstances. He said, I've had plenty. I can be content. I've been in want. It, it, deep down inside the human heart, we know that that's right. We, we know that contentment isn't found in material things. It's not just found in changing my circumstances. You know, we, and you see it. The people who have, you know, uh, a celebrity movie star who's just miserable. They have all the, the fame and prestige and money and travel and, and respect in the world. And, and, you know, a professional athlete who has all the health and physical ability and, and gets treated so well and makes all the money. Uh, despondent. Even on a small scale, you know, you go and you get the newest thing and it doesn't work the way you want it to and it has bugs and, and now you've got to constantly update it and now you're nervous about it and then, and then you've got to keep updating and upgrading and it's just, you, and then you feel tied to it and you can't put it down because it's so important to you now and it's just, you know that contentment isn't there. And when we pursue these things for contentment and we don't get them, it leads to things like bitterness. I worked so hard, and I achieved, and I bought, and I got, and I moved, and I did those things, and I'm still not content, and bitterness creeps in. Or just an increasing self, you know, just this hyper self-awareness and selfishness, self-absorbed, self-pity, you know, woe is me, I'm not content yet. Or even things like depression or, you know, feeling like you're a failure and fallen short so many times and I'll never find true contentment. We must learn a different way to find contentment. And the Apostle Paul says, I've learned it. Verse 11, I have learned to be content. Verse 12, I have learned the secret of being content. And he was a very learned person. Remember earlier in the letter, he was talk, Paul was talking about all his credentials and all his religious training, and he had studied under a famous rabbi, and he, you know, Paul did not learn contentment listening to this rabbi teach. 
He didn't learn contentment talking about the law with his Pharisee friends. Uh, he, he would have had this man, Paul, who wrote the letter, he would have had one of the greatest educations of the known world at the time. And that's not where he learned contentment. He learned it through adversity. And here's the secret power. The secret of being content is Jesus Christ. Verse 13, he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Jesus is the one who can bring true contentment. Jesus is the one who said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus says, I'm the one who can satisfy the hungry soul. I'm the one who can provide for your ultimate thirst. He said, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is the one who can fill the void. He's the one who can bring life into the death. He is the one who brings meaning and purpose to everything because he is the one who created you and he is the one who redeemed you. That Jesus Christ, God in heaven on his throne, takes on human flesh, gives up his heavenly throne to walk where we walk, to take on the form of a servant and to give his life on the cross for us in our place because we have sinned and failed because we have brought death and destruction onto ourselves by our sin, he comes and he takes the sin on himself on the cross. And he gives us his righteousness. And he gives us new life. That is the one who can bring true contentment. True contentment is found in Jesus. And it's true contentment that's, that is apart from your circumstances. If you are in very bad circumstances, if you are in a place of hardship or poverty, the danger there, the reason you need Jesus for contentment is because in that place you can feel like God has left you. God does not care about me. God does not hear the prayers that I pray. He seems to hear other people's prayers. And my needs are not being met. And therefore, perhaps God is not for me. Yet when you consider the cross of Jesus Christ, you realize that God is not against you, that God is for you. That God loves you so much that he came to walk and to serve and give his life for you. And even in the ultimate hardship, God is accomplishing saving work. That's what we learn through the cross. It's through death and hardship that God is, and as we sang, God is working all things for our good. He's working all things for his glory and for our benefit as he is unfolding his saving work in the world. And one day we will know it in all of its fullness. So if the person in the hardship to have contentment, you have to keep eyes on the cross. The person in affluence and the person who is in comfort to have contentment in that also needs to keep their eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because when we're in this place of prosperity, it's very easy to become self-reliant. Hey, I made it. In fact, God has rewarded me for my intellect and my hard work and my business savvy. And all the good things that I have. And it's easy to feel this way, but the cross of Jesus Christ regrounds us in God's grace. That God has given you what you have, not to reward you, but to extend his grace to you. It, we get glimpses of, of God's kingdom and his goodness as he extends grace today, as we will know in all of its fullness. But when we have 
wealth and when we have comfort, it's very easy to think that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've done that. I am self-reliant, self-sufficient. And Jesus said, this is spiritually, this is a very difficult place to be when you think you've done it on your own. He said it's very difficult for the wealthy to enter the kingdom. And, and that's why I love Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. This is great Proverbs says, it's a prayer. It says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. The, the, the proverb speaks to the danger on both sides of the spectrum. If I'm poor, I might be inclined to do things that don't honor God and, and to, for dishonest gain and for stealing. And if I'm over here, I might just forget that God even exists. Or just give me what I need. Help me to be content with what I have. Both ends of the spectrum need Jesus. Both need his grace. And we share wonderful stories. And I love stories of God's grace where God heals a person where God provides a financial need in, in a moment of crisis, where a relationship is restored. And I praise God for those things because we experience his kingdom when we experience healing, and when we experience blessing. But what about the faithful who suffer? What about the faithful who suffer for the sake of the gospel? What about those who are not healed, who die? What about those who live in, in poverty and that that financial gift never comes is something wrong with their faith and we have to say no look at the example of Paul and where he's writing from in his situation look at the example of Jesus Christ himself that it was only through death that salvation comes as God uses that for his kingdom and for his good purposes the secret power is that we can have the power to be content in any and any circumstances through Jesus. And it is power. It's not just contentment, but it's contentment with the power, this uh, Christ who gives me strength, who strengthens me, not just happy, but flourishing in those places with the power to know God and to do his will. That's the power of contentment. The secret power is Jesus Christ who strengthens us. What do we do with this? You've got to see, you, now you know the secret power, so you've got to take it with you when you leave this place. As you go about today, wherever God places you this week. Four things real quick. One, as it relates to your Bible, remember the good news of Jesus. Reflect on the gospel. The big difference between being in a bad situation and being content and being discontent is about trusting a God who is accomplishing good things. Same thing if you have prosperity, tr still trusting God or not trusting God in the midst of that. When God says, my grace is sufficient for you, do you believe that? Do you understand God's grace that is, is all we need? Do you understand that being part of his kingdom is the thing that gives us great joy as we experience his kingdom and we experience his very presence? in this world. And as you reflect on God's salvation, as you reflect on his word, read your Bible, not just as a rule book of, okay, if I follow these Bible instructions, I'll have a happy, successful life. Read your Bible as a story of a God, a true story of a God who is redeeming a broken world 
restoring a perfect creation to all of its intended goodness through the work of Jesus Christ. And that we're entering into that work and experience his kingdom today and forevermore. And when you start to reflect on God's word that way, it will give you the power to understand contentment in a whole new way. So as it relates to your Bible. Secondly, as it relates to your money. This, the context of this teaching is in the context of, of money. He's, he's commending the Philippian church for their gift to him. And there is a healthy detachment from the power of money that is showed on both sides. First, for the Apostle Paul, he's detaching himself from this gift by saying, hey, uh, I, I have a lot of joy that you were able to do this, but it's not that I need it. Because I don't need money to find contentment. So he has this detachment from the money. And the Philippian church is detached from the money because they gave it away. They, they had what they had, and they freely gave it as a gift. And there's, we, we, can, we can break the false connection that this world tells us, that there's a deep connection between money and contentment. And the more we detach ourselves from that lie, uh, the, the freer we are to be content. So we need to go ahead and give it away and ask Tough questions like, can I be content living off of 90% of my income? Could I give 10% away? And if I can't be happy or content with 90%, can I really be happy and content with 100%? Or 110 of where I am or whatever it is? Can we have a healthy detachment from, from money? Two. Uh, your Bible, your money, your gratitude. So here, this is expressing gratitude for this church and for their uh, connection to him, their gift to him for their faith. What brings you joy? What are you grateful for? And this week especially, what a great week to remember, oh my goodness, I have a lot of things that I just go about every day and I do, and I forget to give God thanks that when I flip that switch, those lights go on. And when I pick up that device, it's connected to the cloud and to the world out there. And that's a good thing. That's a blessing. And I use it for, for good. But when it's taken away, I realize how much I use it and how little I show gratitude. Or to the people in my life. Here, Paul is writing a letter expressing gratitude. Can we, where do you write down what you're grateful for? And how can you reach out and write to the people who you are grateful to God for? And the great connection of gratitude and contentment. Realizing that God is providing all that you need. And lastly, God's guidance. How this relates to God's guidance. This is interesting. If God's will for us is that we can be content in every and every circumstance, why do we say that when we're discontent, oh, God must be leading me away because I'm discontent. God is leading me to do something different. Why is God using restlessness and discontentment as a primary means of guidance? Perhaps he doesn't. That's just the world's wisdom. And you kind of called it God. Right? You're discontent. Something's got to change. It must be God telling me to change. No, no. If you're discontent, God is calling you to find contentment in the most terrible circumstances. And then, through that contentment, and through your understanding of God's goodness, you can determine if God is guiding you somewhere else. Does God want you out of that bad situation or that bad job? Or, yeah, yes, or, or maybe. You would, never say, you would never say, well, 
I'm lusting after somebody who's not my spouse. God must be, must be guiding me through my lust. Or God is guiding me through my anger. Why would we say God is guiding me through my discontent? Now, again, I believe that God can stir up a, um, a sense that something is wrong within us. But if we can find contentment in any and every circumstance, then we can really open ourselves up and say, all right, God, how are you leading me? How do you want me to change? And how do you want me to move forward? Something to think about. And then we can take these things with us into our everyday. So I ask the question, are you content? And if you're not content, why? And what would it take for you to be content right now in your life? May we be people, may Free Christian Church be a community and a family of people who learn the secret of being content in every, in every circumstance, whether we are living in plenty or in want, whether we are well-fed or hungry, we can be content in all things through Jesus Christ who gives us strength.